We now bring you the Tabernacle Pulpit Podcast, featuring the late Dr. Harold B. Seitler, founding pastor of Tabernacle Baptist Church and Ministries in Greenville, South Carolina. And now, today's edition of the Tabernacle Pulpit Podcast. Your Bible is open, please, uh, to a text of Scripture that I'd love to use today in Acts chapter number 1. I'd like to preach to you for a moment on the second advent of our Lord, the second coming of our Lord. I don't plan to try to say anything new. You know, we preach on the great themes of the Bible and uh, preach on them over and over again as we sing the great songs of the faith over and over again. But may I, may I emphasize afresh and anew, maybe from just a little different angle, the second coming of our Lord again today, the blessed hope of we that are saved in the grace of God. As we studied our Sunday school lesson in the morning hour and saw the woe of God upon Jerusalem and last Sunday the woe of God upon Israel, Ephraim, uh, then we, we recognize that the only way out of the dilemmas that the world faced and the problems that the world faced is the second coming of our Lord. The only, way, the only solution to many of the problems the world faced is the second coming of our Lord. Man doesn't have the ability uh, to be able to see his way clear, not by any means. And we look far and hasten that good day when Jesus shall come and with his second coming provide a solution and an answer to the many problems that press upon us. Now in Acts chapter number 1 and verse number 10 and 11, I read, And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, that is, the apostles upon the Mount of Olives, after the Lord Jesus had begun to ascend into heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them, by the apostles, in white apparel. Now these two men could be none other than angels of the Lord, delegated to this particular moment uh, for a particular purpose to make an, make an astounding announcement. And the astounding announcement that the two angels of the Lord is about to make, I want to use as a text, as a reminder of the second coming of our Lord. Now, I believe that these two men in white apparel knew what they were talking about. You know, God has a way of revealing to the human family that which he wants us to know as a matter of fact. God has a way. And God chose on this particular occasion, long before the New Testament was ever written, uh, that to reveal to the human family a great thing. And that great thing is that which was announced by these two men, the second coming of our Lord. It's a little bit difficult for me and you to understand or to imagine that there was ever a day when there was no New Testament. We're so accustomed to opening the Bible to the Old Testament and then to the New Testament. We've always had it. We've always studied in our Sunday school. But it's a little difficult for us to realize that there was a time when there was no New Testament. And uh, this is one of the times in Acts chapter 1, the New Testament is not yet written. The last book in the New Testament was written 95 A.D. That's 60 years after Jesus died. I don't know how many years it took after the last book, Revelation by John, was written 95 A.D. to get them all canonized together and brought together and uh, translated together and compacted together in one book, 26 different books. How long it took to get them all compacted together, I don't know. But the last book was written 60 years after the Lord died. Might have been another 60 years, another 100 years before the New Testament was fully canonized as we now have it. So there was a quite a period of time when there was no New Testament. But God still desired that the human family know some things. And he lays uh, early in the days of the apostles the foundation to what me and you call the blessed hope 
and the glorious appearing of our great God and of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Now God laid the foundation through these two men in white apparel as recorded in Acts chapter one. Paul later built on that foundation and in every one of the epistles of the apostle Paul, uh, he deals one way or another with the second coming of our Lord, building upon that which God first had set forth foundationally in the pronouncement that I'm preaching from today. God wanted us to know and them to know that the Lord Jesus was coming again to this earth someday. So he delegated these two angels of the Lord with a special power and a special message and a special commission uh, to be delivered to these men of God, these apostles of the Lord Jesus, gathered upon the Mount of Olives a few moments after Jesus had disappeared out of their sight, having been received up into heaven miraculously. Now I accept that, I believe that. I believe Jesus went to heaven in that fashion as described in Acts chapter number one. While they stood beholding, he was caught up and received up into heaven out of their sight. And when they last seen the Savior, then these two men appeared and said to them, verse number 11, which also said, ye men of Galilee. Now the two men in white apparel knew to whom they were speaking. Ye men of Galilee, not men of Jerusalem. Uh, they were at Jerusalem at that particular point. They were on the Mount of Olives, which is only a quarter of a mile away from the ancient walls of the city. They could look from the Mount of Olives right over into the temple area. And uh, these two men in white apparel knew to whom they were speaking, or uh, they would have never said, ye men of Galilee, because the fishermen disciples of our Lord were not from Jerusalem, they were from Galilee, around Capernaum and the ancient Sea of Galilee. Ye men of Galilee, ye disciples, humble fishermen, disciples of the Lord, uh, why stand ye here gazing up into heaven? Now I think you understand why they stood there. A few minutes ago, they were talking with the Savior. Just a few minutes ago, the Lord Jesus gave his last will and testament. Just a few minutes ago, God gave through the Lord Jesus the great commission, go ye into all the world and make disciples. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the age. That had just transpired just a minute or two ago. And the message of the great commission was still vibrating upon the eardrums of these apostles of the Lord Jesus. And they had a moment ago saw the Lord and talked with the Lord and shaken hands with the Lord possibly and communed with the Lord. And then miraculously and gloriously, he began to ascend out of the earth to be lifted from the Mount of Olives. Slowly he began to rise out of their sight. And they stood there and watched him as they went up. They were dumbfounded, no doubt, to see this great miracle in actuality. I imagine you and I would have been dumbfounded uh, if we were standing with the Lord, talking with the Lord and conversing with the Lord and then all of a sudden Jesus began to rise and we watched him and in a moment we could see the soles of his feet and then another moment he's 50 feet up another moment he's 100, 150 feet up and after a while he's received out of our sight and we'll stand there and gaze up into heaven where they'd last seen the Savior. That's a natural thing, normal thing that these disciples were doing. They were watching the hole in the sky where they had last seen the Savior. And that's how the two men found the disciples when they appeared to them upon the Mount of Olives. Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye here gazing, gazing up into heaven, steadfastly looking at that hole in the sky where they had last seen the Savior? Then to make the announcement, this same Jesus. Now to me that's very important. That means that the coming of the Holy Spirit at the day of Pentecost could not be the second coming of Christ. 
That means that when a saint of God dies and goes to be with Jesus in paradise, that could not be the second coming of Christ. That means that when the gospel is preached to a heathen people, a pagan people around the world that might have never heard the gospel and some of them get converted, that could not be the second coming of Christ. Now you'll find people, believe it or not, among Baptists that believe that when a, a saint of God dies, then that's the second coming. God comes for that saint and carries them home and that's all the second coming there is. You'll be surprised that Baptist people believe that. And you'll find others who insist that when the Holy Ghost came at the day of Pentecost, that was the second coming. That's the only second coming there'll ever be. You'll be surprised that people believe such foolish ideas as that. Or that when the gospel is proclaimed around the world and men are converted and sinners come to know the Savior and get born again, that that's the second coming of Christ and that's all there is to the second coming. How naive, how foolish can people be? Now your Bible reads like mine and my Bible says this same Jesus. Now that, that makes it, that narrows it down, that pinpoints uh, the second coming of our Lord. That makes it very personal. And that, that rules out a lot of heresies and a lot of ideas of man relative to the second coming of our Lord. If I'm going to take that verse to be literal, and I do, then I couldn't believe that when a saint dies, that's second coming. Because the text says, this same Jesus. That requires that literally there be a personal and visible second advent of the Savior, the same Savior that went up, not an angel, not Gabriel, nor Michael, not even these two men that now stand by in white apparel, nor even the Holy Spirit of God who came faithfully on the day of Pentecost. None of those qualify according to the words of my text. And that's with all due respect to the Holy Spirit and all due respect to the angels and all due respect to Gabriel and Michael, they don't qualify according to the Bible. And when God writes down something in the Bible, even angels have to obey that, you see. Uh, the Bible is as true as heaven in heaven and as it is in, in the earth. And no angel could qualify uh, for the second coming of our Lord. Now, I'm sure that many angels would gladly do that for the Savior or anything else for the Savior. But the Bible stipulates clearly and profoundly, and in particular, that this same Jesus must come. Literally the same Jesus must come. I would that somehow me and you could grasp that. I know it's a little difficult to get a hold of, a little difficult for me to get a hold of. Uh, to, to, to fathom in my mind, and to imagine in my mind and to know in my soul that the day shall be someday, I don't know when, maybe near, I'm convinced close at hand, but the day shall be when, when the same Nazarene uh, with the nail prints in his hand, with the very same personality and with the sa very same physical physique, that he had when he went back to heaven, the very same body. Now I believe Jesus stood on the Mount of Olives literally. When those disciples were standing there together and Jesus gave the Great Commission, they were not talking to a spirit. No, sir, they were not talking to an angel. On the Mount of Olives, when they stood around in that last moment before the Lord went back to heaven to sit down at God's right hand, they were talking to a Mary's 
miraculously born son. You believe that? Sure they were. They were not talking to a, uh, to a, to a spirit. Not at all. No, they were talking, no, were they talking to any uh, human being as such. But they were talking to God's only begotten son on the Mount of Olives after his crucifixion, after his resurrection. Forty days, in fact, had transpired since he came out of the grave. And in those 40 days, he had eaten and fellowshiped and slept and walked and preached and taught those disciples. Had you come to those disciples in that 40 days and said, now, boys, uh, you fellows have imagined something. Really, Jesus never has come out of the grave. Well, they'd have laughed you down. They'd have said, you're, you're crazy. We've seen him. We've, we had a meal with him. We ate broad fish and bread down by the seashore with him. And we know that he's alive. We've heard his words. We felt his hands. We've seen the nail prints in his hands. You, you wouldn't get to first base with that idea. Now some smart addicts in our day try to get off of that. Some smart fellows in our day that are too wise for their own good and don't want, they don't believe themselves and don't want anybody else to believe. Uh, they talk about the spirit, you see, and maybe the Lord didn't come out of the grave. A man that doesn't believe in the personal literal resurrection of Jesus is a lost man. I don't care who he is. Can't be saved until he comes to believe in the resurrection of our Lord. Romans 10 and 9 is the proof text. There it is, my friend. Now, Jesus was literally with those disciples. And they could have reached out their hand at any moment while they stood on the Mount of Olives and touched him. I imagine the Lord might have looked over inside the city and remembered that infamous night in the house of Caiaphas the high priest on the 13th day of April, 41 days prior to the day, 44 days prior to that day when he went back to heaven. He might have thought about that uh, day when he spent the uh, uh, day in the Garden of Gethsemane prior to his death upon Calvary. And he might have made some mention of those days, I don't know. They were close at hand at all those great things. He might have made some mention of that experience before Pilate in the judgment hall of Pilate on the day before his crucifixion. I don't know. They were close by. They stood there on the Mount of Olives. They could look over into the temple area. And they probably talked about those things. They could look a little bit north and see the place of a skull where the Lord had died. Think of that. The Lord had died 40 days prior, 43 days prior to that. And 40 days uh, since uh, he got up 40 days prior to that experience. They couldn't see the tomb, but they might have seen the mountaintop where the crosses were 43 days ago when Jesus died. He might have talked about that. And when all things are in order and he'd given the great commission, he said, now uh, I go back to my father. And he began to rise out of their sight. And when Jesus was gone out of their sight back to the father, it was then that these two men made the announcement of, uh, announcement of my text. This same Jesus, whom ye have seen go away, shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go. Now, that seems to be very clear. I, I don't see too much difficulty uh, in those words uh, in the English translation. This same Jesus whom ye have seen go away, they saw him go away, they knew it. They were positive of it. I have no reason to doubt it. I believe in the ascension of our Lord as much as I believe in the resurrection. I believe the Lord came out of the grave on the third day and on the 43rd day went to heaven. Sure you believe that. Sure you do. 
On the 40th day after he came out of the grave, he went to heaven. I believe that as much as I believe in the resurrection. I see no difficulty in anything in verse number 11. The same Jesus whom ye have seen go away. They, he was tangible. He was visible. He was at hand. He was feelable. They could converse with him and did. They could talk with him and did. He could command them and he did. Now the great promise shall so come shall so come in like manner. Now, if Jesus comes in like manner, there's several things about uh, that that will be necessary. First, if he comes in like manner, that means that he's going to have to come back like he went up. Now, how did he go up? Uh, he went up physical. I mean, he had a real physical body that could eat bread and meat and drink water and talk and see and feel and have the nail prints in his hand. Now, if he comes back in the same manner, he's going to have to come back physically. And that's the position I have in the second coming of our Lord. Now, if he comes back in the like manner, he's going to have to come back seen of men. Now, he went up seen of men. Had you tried to twist the arms of those apostles and cause them to have denied the ascension of our Lord, you'd have never been successful. Those disciples knew that Jesus ascended to heaven. They saw him ascend with their own eyes. Now, according to the text, he's going to come back seen of men. Men saw him go up. Men shall see him come back. If he comes back in like manner, he's coming back seen of men. What a breathless moment that shall be for me and you when on some cloud of glory we see the prince of eternity. Now, someday that's going to happen. I don't know when. But someday, you're going to see Jesus in his second coming. Amen. Some generation will be alive and see if he comes back in like manner. And that's what the men said. And that's what Luke recorded. And I see no difficulty in accepting that. He'll come back seen of men. Amen. Amen. Then he's coming back as he went out. He went out miraculously. That's a miracle when a physical man begins to uh, defy the law of gravity and begins to rise. If some of you in this, in this auditorium would suddenly defy the law of gravity and begin to rise off your seat, uh, you'd, you'd take my words from me. And I'd have to stop preaching and watch you. If all of a sudden I begin to rise in this pulpit, you'd wake up sure enough. I'm telling you, that'd be something spectacular. When a man does that. Now Jesus did that. He went away miraculously. He defied the law of gravity. And rose into the clouds. Out of their sight. Now he's coming back. Defying the law of gravity. And seen a man. Miraculously he's coming back. With a physical body. Through the air. And in the air to receive you and I. That are saved in God's grace. This same Jesus whom ye've seen go away, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go uh, into heaven. All right. Now one other thing. The text says he went into heaven. He's coming from heaven. He went to heaven. He's coming back from heaven. The text tells me where the Lord is right now. If you ever go to Jerusalem, you'll, you'll have a little empty place down in your bosom. You'll feel a little bit sad after you've toured uh, uh, Gethsemane and the temple area and the garden tomb and, and Mount Calvary and David's tomb and Bethlehem and all the other places of interest. Uh, there's a little note of sadness about it all. 
because, because everywhere you go, in none of those places do you find the Savior. He isn't there. And you come away from Jerusalem keenly aware of the fact that Jesus is not there today. I would that he was and someday he shall be. But he's not there now. And you come away feeling that in your heart. Now I know where he's at. He's not in Jerusalem. But I know where he is. He's in heaven. Oh, but preacher, there's no such place as heaven. Oh, isn't that so? What about that? Uh, pity you didn't get born a long time ago and, and set people straight a long time ago. Tragedy you had to wait to get born this late down in the history of the human family. You're awfully smart to find out there's no heaven. Now, as far as I'm concerned, you go peddle your papers somewhere else. Amen. There is a heaven. Amen. A real heaven. Amen. A city of God. Where the throne of God is. And where God is. And at his right hand is his only begotten son. Ever living to make an intercession for you and I. Until we arrive also at destination. There is a heaven. Now when Jesus comes he's coming back from heaven. That's what the text says. He's coming from heaven. Back to this earth. The gold dust will still be on his feet. When he lands upon the holy city, he's coming back to this earth from heaven. As sure as you're born, he's coming again. Now, one or two things about the second advent. I'd remind you, first of all, that the second advent is a matter of prophecy. There'd be no way in the world that you could avoid it or evade it. If you read the Bible and believe the Bible, you must concede that the second coming of Christ is a matter of prophecy. There's a great deal of this book, 66 books. Not a large volume, but 66 books uh, into one book. And, and a great portion of that is prophecy of one kind or another. And much of Bible prophecy is in relation to the second advent of our Lord. Now you could not deny that. Most of you that study the Bible know well that there are more references in the Bible to the second advent of Jesus than to the first. And all of us accept the first advent and rejoice in the first advent and reap the blessings of the first advent. Well, if the first advent is a reality and a matter of prophecy, then how about the second advent? It too must be a reality and is a matter of prophecy. And only a foolish student of the Bible would set aside a matter of prophecy. If the Bible is not a book of prophecy, then it's just a book. And if the Bible is only a book, then it's no greater than the local newspaper. If it's only a book, then we've been disillusioned. And we have no hope. If it's only a book, then its message is vain. But if it's prophecy, then it's divinely inspired of God. I want to insist, I want to submit to you, that the only book on God's earth that has an element of prophecy is this book I have in my hand. Not a philosophy book, not a history book, not a science book in all the world has any divine prophecy in its content. But great parts of this book is prophecy. So the second coming of our Lord is about a prophecy. And if you believe the Bible, then you accept it gladly. But not only that, but the second coming of our Lord is about a secrecy. It's secret in several ways. It's secret in that the world doesn't understand it and the world can't understand it. Therefore, listen to me preach right now. Maybe in this auditorium, I pray not, but I'm pretty sure about the radio. There's somebody listening to me now that has the idea that I'm just about the biggest fool in Greenville. 
And the reason you come to that conclusion is because I preach like I'm preaching now about the second coming of the Lord. Why all things continue as it were from the beginning. Don't get excited. Nothing is going to happen. Everything's all right. And things season upon season and nothing unusual is about to happen. When we are seated on the threshold of the most, most momentous event in all history, the second coming of our Lord. And yet men say peace and safety. All things continue as they were from the beginning. Uh, the second coming is secret in that relation. And then also the second coming of Christ will be secret in its actuality. Only those that look for him will know that blessed advent. Now I'm well, well aware of the fact, and you are too, that there are two phases of the second coming. The rapture, the revelation. I'm talking about the rapture at this point. The rapture is a secret coming of our Lord. Only those that look for him will know that glad event. When the trumpet sounds, only those that are listening for the trumpet shall hear the blast of it. Right. If Jesus were to come back tonight, about midnight, while you pillow your heads upon your bed, while you sleep, in the twinkling of an eye, you'd be raptured out of this earth, translated and transmigrated, caught up to meet Jesus in clouds. But you know, when you go, there'll be a thousand undisturbed all about you. The next door neighbor will not know what happened. Some member of your family might not even know what has happened. And tomorrow morning, if we leave tonight at midnight, tomorrow morning the stores will open on schedule, the schools will be open on schedule, the radio stations will be open on schedule, the TVs will be open on schedule, and the business houses will be open on schedule, and just a little handful of people will be missing. And there'll be some excitement about a few people missing. But there's not uh, many important people missing, you see. Just a few little common uh, insignificant people. We don't understand quite where they are, but we can operate all right without them. Just move on, forget it. And brother, they're going to forget it. Some of them be glad we're going anyway. We're thrown in their flesh. We're a reminder of their unholiness, and they don't like to be reminded of that. But uh, the secret coming of our Lord, uh, he'll come as a thief in the night, and only those that look for him will know that coming. Now, brother... That's going to happen one of these days while I'm walking down the highway of time quicker than I can twinkle my eye I'm going to be changed and caught away. Won't that be a wonderful thing? Say preacher that'll hurt. No it'll happen so fast you won't hurt you won't hurt you a bit. No. One moment natural the next moment spiritual. One moment terrestrial the next moment celestial. One moment corruptible, the next moment incorruptible. Change quicker than you can twinkle your eye. And you leave this world, meet Jesus in clouds. He said, I don't like to ride through the air. You'll forget your, your air sickness. You'll, you'll be all right. Don't you worry. Everything will be all right. The astronauts walk around up there and people see them walking around. Me and you are going to take a trip through the sky one of these days. As Brother Melvin sang a while ago, I'm going to hire someday. The second coming is about a secrecy. Then number three, the second advent is about a certainty. I don't know of anything in the world more certain than the second coming of our Lord. It's bound to happen. Somebody said, well, Brother Harold, you've been preaching 34 years, and all these years you've been preaching, 
Jesus is soon coming, and he hasn't come yet. Correct. But we're 34 years closer than we were when we started. It's bound to happen. It's bound to happen. The certainty of it is as sure as the rising of tomorrow's sun, the shout's going to be heard, and the Lord is coming back to this earth. It's a matter of certainty. We need not fret. The psalmist in Psalm 78 cried, Hath the Lord clean forgotten Israel? And that's a sad announcement. Hath the Lord clean forgotten? And sometimes we look about us and look at the world with all of its perplexity and all of its trouble, and we sometimes say, Hath the Lord clean forgotten this world upon which we live? Has God clean forgotten the church? The world's unfriendly to the church. The world persecutes the church. And we say, hath the Lord clean forgotten about us? Listen, don't you fret about that. No, sir. The day will never forget. The day will never be when God shall forget his church. The day shall never be when God shall forget his covenant people Israel. The day shall never be when God shall forget his binding promises. No, sir. And he's coming back. The certainty of it is as certain as the rise of tomorrow's sun and the, as certain as death in your life and mine. He's coming back. It's about a certainty. We can be, there's many things that I'm uncertain about. But there's one thing I need not be uncertain about. The second advent of our Lord. Then number three, number four rather, the second advent is a matter of necessity. May I ask you, is there any way out? Of the many and multitude of dilemmas that the world faces, is there any other way out? The problems of, uh, of society, the problems of, of famine, the problems of, of political uh, differences among the nations of the earth, the problems of the atomic bomb, the problems of the of nuclear warfare, the problems of starving thousands upon the earth, the problems of of an exploding population among the underprivileged nations of the world. Is there any solution to those things? The problem of the races of the earth. The race hatred in the world is, is of the devil. There's no doubt about that. We ought not to hate anybody. You and I that are saved hate nobody. We love everybody. One of the marks of a born-again experience is that we love. Whatsoever is born of God loveth. We love everybody. But there never has been a day when race hatred is at as high pitch as it is now. Nations rising against nation. Kingdoms against kingdoms. Race against race. Nationality against nationality. And more keen now than it's ever been before. If you've ever been overseas, you know what I'm talking about. I, I haven't traveled extensively, but I, I was down in Nassau with, with uh, these dear missionaries a few months ago and preached. And Mr. and Ms. Desmond were there. They probably felt the same thing I felt. But I, I, I could sense and feel a resentment of me by the nationals in the Bahamas. Uh, some of them gave me the impression if they could... If they could uh, cut my throat, they'd be glad to do it. I mean, it gets that tense. They, they hate and despise Americans and white people. That all, that's of the devil. I don't care whether it's colored people hating white or white people hating colored. It's all of the devil. We ought not to hate anybody. 
But I'm simply illustrating my point. There's never been a time when the nations are so pitched one against another. What's the answer to that? How are you going to solve that? Now, if you face up to realities, I think you'll have to admit that the only thing that will solve it will be the second coming of our Lord. That's why I say the second advent is a matter of necessity. If Jesus doesn't soon come, this world's going to fall apart. Politically and socially and financially and religiously, it's going to fall apart if Jesus doesn't come. The only Savior of the world as we now have it is the second coming of Jesus Christ. He's the only answer to the many complex problems that solve this earth, that plague this earth. And I don't know the answers. I, I, I don't think President Nixon knows the answers. Uh, Mr. Kissinger doesn't know all the answers either. No human being in all the earth can solve the problems that press upon society. You take the religious world. Some of you watched the TV this morning. And I tried to preach the gospel of God's grace. But some of you tuned in early. And you saw that program on that was produced by the Southern Baptist Convention before I came on. And several of you came to me and and told me what an abomination it was. The music. I watched it two or three Sundays ago. And they had a young lady who sang two popular songs on this supposedly Christian program that didn't have one ounce of gospel in it. Not an ounce of gospel. On a religious program. The long hair and the swaying bodies and the rock religious music. What's the answer to that? Well, now, preacher, you ought to conform and get in it. That's the thing of the day. I'll die before I'll conform to that. Well, you ought to give it a second thought. I've given it many thoughts. I've given it so many until I'm determined to stay an old-fashioned Baptist preacher. What's the answer to that? That's the thing of the day. Churches in Greenville are doing that. Baptist churches in Greenville are having their rock festival religious programs. Religious music to rock music, religious music to rock beat. I mean in Greenville, not in New York, but in Greenville. Among Southern Baptist churches, God have mercy. Now I'm against that. I want you to know it. I want Greenville to know it. I wish I could tell everybody in this city, the second coming of Christ is of a necessity. There's no solution to those things. But I want you to know when the Lord comes back, he's going to take a lot of things and straighten them up. Sure as your foot high. And then number five, the second coming of Christ is a matter of permanency. The world as we now have it will, will shatter and fall and be broken. Except the second coming of the Lord stay off the inevitable destruction of it. Man will destroy himself. Except the second coming of our Lord make it permanent. Man will destroy this earth, except the second coming of our Lord make it permanent. Man will destroy himself with, uh, with litter and pollution. The average person doesn't think a thing in the world about litter and pollution. He'll soon cover himself up with his own pollution, except Jesus come back. It's a matter of permanency, second coming of Christ, he must come again to make this earth planet a permanent place, to keep man from destroying this earth planet, to keep the demons from destroying this earth planet, to keep the devil from destroying this earth planet. It's a matter of permanency. 
Satan would destroy this world if he could. He set out to destroy this world in any way he can. And he'll do it except Jesus come to intervene. And he's coming back to intervene one of these days. I told my Sunday school class today that in the tribulation period, the Antichrist will gather the armies of all the earth against Jerusalem in the valley of Megiddo. And he's sent, he's bent on annihilating the Jew. That's why he gathers such a vast army to annihilate the Jew and destroy the city of Jerusalem. We studied about Jerusalem in our lesson today. And he set out to destroy Jerusalem and to annihilate the Jew. And he will accomplish his purpose except for one thing. Right at the climax of that great battle of Armageddon, Jesus Christ comes back from heaven upon a white horse with a sharp sword proceeding out of his mouth to destroy the armies of the beast gathered against Jerusalem. And he's going to destroy the Antichrist and his armies in the valley of Megiddo. Amen. The devil would destroy this earth. The second advent is a amount of permanency. The very permanency of the earth is dependent upon it. Then again, the second coming of Christ, the second advent is a matter of expediency. It's good for me and you. What's better? It's so good for me and you. It's so expedient for me and you until Jesus calls it the blessed hope. Paul says the blessed hope and the glorious appearance of our great God and of our Savior. It's for our good that Jesus comes. Say, preacher, I'm getting along very well. Well, you haven't gotten along as well as you will get along. Amen. <laughs> yes, you think now you live in a mansion. You wait until Jesus and you and me and you rule this earth planet. And one day, we're going to straighten up Greenville. I mean, close up all the liquor stores and the liquor dives and the dance halls. Preacher, you're crazy. I've been told that before. But Jesus is coming back one of these days. And, and he and me and you are going to have a fixed up world. And the old devil, the first thing the, the Lord's doing when he comes back is to take a great chain and bind the old devil. And put him in the bottomless pit and shut him up. The old devil, the same old devil that deceived Mother Eve in the Garden of Eden is going to be bound with a chain and put in the bottomless pit. We never have lived in a world with no devil. But one of these days, me and you are going to live in a world with no devil. And that's going to last for a thousand glorious years. And men shall live again to be as old as Methuselah, 964 years. And none shall say, I am sick in that day. It's a matter of expediency. The second coming of Christ is good for me and you. It's the solution to our problems. And you talk about having a utopia. You talk about having an ideal state in this world. We're going to have it when Jesus comes back. We're living a world without a devil and a world where righteousness prevails. And then last but not least, the second advent is a matter of immediacy. What do you mean, preacher? It's imminent. The second coming is imminent. Immediate. At any moment. Jesus could come. He'd come before I finish the sermon and I'm finished now. We thank you for listening to the Tabernacle Pulpit Podcast. 
If this sermon was a blessing to you, please share and invite others to listen and join us next time on the Tabernacle Pulpit Podcast.